0: You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Uh, John is the VP of Mobilization for World Gospel Mission. He's an Asbury graduate of 2001, a member of the Redeemed class. Let the redeemed of the Lord say... All right, John and I have known each other since his freshman year in 1997, uh, when he was on summer ministry team and we traveled to Jamaica on a mission trip together. His friends from Asbury know him as Rhino, so he'll totally answer to that across the week. He's married to Erica, they have three children who are 13, 11, and nine. He's passionate about helping your generation walk with Jesus. John is uh, adventurous, he loves pretending, he's still athletic, and he's also completing a PhD in spiritual formation and leadership in Generation Z. John's ministry journey has included Wesley Biblical Seminary, uh, years in Uganda, uh, as well as time at Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, just to name a few things. John is super available to spend time with you this week. So connect directly with him or email me uh, to help connect you with John and set up a time. As we go to prayer this morning, we want to remember the 10 victims of the mass shooting in Monterey Park, California that happened yesterday. So pray with me this morning. Father, we begin our week in light of who you are, loving and sovereign. You are compassionate and you are mighty. And God, we ask for your mercy and your grace around the community of Monterey, California. God, that you would provide comfort and care of the families who have experienced deep loss. Lord, bring comfort and restoration of peace to this community. Jesus, this morning we ask that you open both our minds and our hearts to hear from you. Shape us to be women and men who embody your hope and salvation in the world. And even today, give us a pure heart. Give us a new operating system that our relationship with you would be set apart. In Jesus we pray together. Amen.
1: All right. Well, I thank you, Greg, for that gracious introduction. He could have blackened me with a lot more stuff. I am super excited to be here, but I am feeling my age. He mentioned that I still try to be an athlete from time to time. I had a student the other day. I coached 14-year-olds in basketball, and there's one my size. He can already dunk. And I could barely still scrape the rim. And so I did that. And as I did that, he said, man, you're pops with the hops. And I thought, is that a compliment or insult? I couldn't tell. And so I tried to take it as a a good thing. But I then had to go take some Advil after that practice. And so, hey, go ahead and tell your neighbor, be expectant. I was almost believable. Now tell your other neighbor, say, be expectant. Say, sorry, you were my second choice. Life's about choices. Okay, I still love you. I know it's a Monday, but we're going to get into this, all right? So I'm going to pray again. The prayer was awesome. I just need this for myself to get into it. Let's go. Heavenly Father, thank you for the worship. Thank you for to gathering in this place. So many places in the world we couldn't do this. We're grateful. So God, help us to be expectant. We know you are here long before we got up. We invite you to move and to speak. In your name, amen. Right after I graduated from Asbury seemed like everybody had their life figured out but me. (laughs) I had a job. That was good. I could pay off my student loans. Eh, That was good, too, but we're looking forward to it. But I was doing it. And then my friend Jason, though, he hit the jackpot. I didn't have a girlfriend. He did. And so I was like kind of pseudo-Christian. Yeah, good for you. But inside, I was really jealous. But I was telling, okay, I was like, okay, great, great. So he started to change, though, I noticed, as soon as he had this girlfriend. He started doing a lot of things that maybe not be unusual, but they were unusual for him. He started, you know, texting like crazy. He started working out a lot more. He started showering more. Like all these things that you would think should be pretty normal, but, you know, guys sometimes were a little slow, right? And so, but one thing really, really stood out to me, and maybe you've seen this before, but I would never seen this. So we were getting ready to go to lunch, and he was going to drive. And so he's like, come on. And and so we go out to his car, and as I go to get in the passenger seat, I noticed there's like, Somebody or something in the passenger seat. And I can't quite figure out what it is. And as I get closer, I see that it's, uh, it's a picture frame. And it's a picture frame, not just sitting there like face down. It is seat belted in. I wish I was making this up, but I'm telling the truth now. And so and I got a little closer, and it's a picture of his new girlfriend in the picture frame, seat belted in. That's commitment, right? And then he said, can you sit in the back? And I was like, what? (laughs) True story. I love that story, though, because it reminded me that this picture, this picture gave him a little bit of a vision, a glimpse of what his life could be like. He loved her presence so much that it wasn't enough to have her on her phone, on his phone there. He had to have like a physical picture right there, and if he couldn't be with her, at least the frame was, at least a substitute was close enough. But not enough the same as her. The Bible talks about presence in a lot of different ways, but one of them is Exodus thirty three. Maybe you know this passage. Just says the Lord replied, My presence, literally, my face, will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Distinguished is kind of an interesting word. It's not something we say very often, but that word distinguish is actually, can be translated set apart. To be in have an intentional purpose. This week, I can't but wonder what might Jesus' presence want to do in and through you? How might he want to distinguish your life? What might he want to say to you? And similarly to how that, that crazy picture of sitting on the front seat buckled in, you know, it gave my friend a vision of his life, it wasn't about the frame. It was about the person. It was about her personal presence in his life. And this, this holiness week, this set-apart week, is not enough just to study the doctrine and read about it, and that's great, but it's about loving and living in relationship with the living personal presence of Jesus. Can we really become like him? Yes, we can. he invites us into that, and that's this invitation that we're going to talk about this week. And it's personal for me because I'm so old that not only do people call me pops with the hops, but I'm at that age now where I remember people coming up during these emphasis weeks and kind of rolling my eyes and not really wanting to be here maybe. But then Jesus somehow, if I just opened up just a little bit, man, he would say something right when I needed it, right at the right time. Would you invite his presence to distinguish your life this week? I love your generation, not just because my kids are in this generation, but I believe that every generation has an incredible opportunity to reach the world for Christ in every vocation. He wants to use you, whether you're in Mediacom or if you're in education or or whatever it is. He wants to use you. He wants to send you, but he needs to fill you with his presence. And I remember learning when I was here at Asbury These two parts of the invitation to life with Jesus and in Jesus. And the first part, you probably hear a lot about. And I don't know where everyone's at in their faith journey. There could be some folks here today, maybe you're like, I'm not even sure about this thing. You know, I'm bored, this sounds lame, I, I lost a bet, I had to come to Asbury. I don't know. You know, but wherever you're at, this first part is, Jesus invites us into life to forgive us of our sins. That's the part you probably hear a lot about. We call that salvation or justification, having this right relationship with God. We, people probably go like this a lot. It's the vertical. But the second part of the invitation is what Genesis 1 and 2 is about. We're made in his image. We're being remade. He's reshaping our heart, our love. He's filling us with his presence, this holy love that changes everything about us in the best way. And we look at Jesus and say, he wasn't superhuman. He was human the way we were supposed to be. Full of God's presence holiness is about being full of God's presence saying I'm willing to go anywhere and do anything I'm yours use my life however you want God's personal presence it just as I get older and older I just sound like an old curmudgeon I know but like a couple years ago my, my, my dad died I miss his personal presence when I'm away from my kids and my wife I miss their personal presence Even when I'm away from James Ballard a little bit, I miss his personal presence, right? When I was at Global Cafe last night with over almost 200 students in there, there's something about just being together, that personal presence. That's the kind of personal presence Jesus is going to offer to you and me this week and every week. He says, I want to distinguish your life. So I get it. Third week of the semester, you're like, some of you are like, this is the best semester ever. This is awesome. This is great. I'm almost done. Others of you are like, I'm ready for a break already. I am so overwhelmed. I don't know what to do. So wherever you're at on that continuum, it's okay. Don't be overwhelmed. Would you just say, Jesus, distinguish my life. We're going to take a couple minutes and look at What Exodus 30 he was talking about, we were talking about Moses. And before he knew that part of his life, he had a lot of question marks. He was wrestling with what would distinguish his life. The thing that he was wrestling with was fear. The most common question probably at my age and your age and everyone's age is, what is going to happen next? Everyone always asks you, what are you going to do with your life? What are you majoring in? What comes next? And that can be super overwhelming. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. Moses is wrestling with fear, but fear is not his future. Go ahead and whisper that with me. Say, Fear is not my future. Fear is not my future. You guys are really good. I like that. You're good looking too. James was wrong about that too. So sorry, James. So, you guys may know the story of Moses. Let me give you a super fast recap. He is born a Hebrew, but he's born in the same time period when Pharaoh decides that, hey, there's too many of them, he's going to wipe out the population. But he gets put in the Nile River. Pharaoh's daughter finds him. You remember this? And then uh, she finds him. He gets brought up in Pharaoh's household. So he grows up uh, a prince. And then he comes to find out in Exodus chapter 2 that he's actually a Hebrew by birth. And he's like, his identity is shaking. His whole world's upside down. And one day he's walking around and he sees an Egyptian beating on one of his people. And he just, something in him just snaps. I mean, not just a little bit, but like anger management issues to the nth degree, right? Like he goes and he actually kills this Egyptian. And then he literally covers it up. And then we see that Pharaoh finds out and he wants revenge. So Moses flees. Literally, he goes, he runs to the desert and he becomes a shepherd. He gets married and starts a new life. It kind of sounds like a new mini series on Hulu or something like that. Like there's this whole series coming out. And so there he is, fear it's his future right now. Forty years go by. He's in this desert, and he's just like asking. Every day, I bet he's looking over his shoulder, wondering, like, is, is someone coming? Is there an is there army? What's going to happen to me? And then, one day, he's tending his sheep, and he sees this crazy burning bush. Exodus 3.3. 3. And this is a strange thing. Moses thought, I'll go over and I'll check it out. I'll see this strange sight, why it doesn't burn up. Here's a picture of this. This isn't the exact tree, I'm, I'm not sure, but this is a picture of the, the desert there in Israel. I don't know what this was like, but this is arid. This is not great. Fear is running his life, but he sees something probably like this. He goes to check it out. And I love that even though he's afraid, he goes over and God does something amazing. He just begins to slowly talk to him, wooing him with his personal presence, and he calls him by name. And then verse 4 and 5 says, When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, he called to him within the bush, Moses, Moses. He says, Here I am. Don't come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals. This is holy ground. He gives him a little glimpse of who God is. And I wonder how Moses said that. Did he say it like a question like, Here I am? Or, Here I am, really bold. Either way, he goes over. God tells him he's on holy ground. There's something different about to happen. And then verses 5 and 7 he starts telling him who he is more, his ancestry. I'm the God of your father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says, I've heard about all the trouble, all the slavery happening, and I'm concerned. And I want to do something. And so Moses is like, yeah, that's good. Someone should do something about that. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do something. He starts giving this vision. That sounds like a great vision for my life. And then he says, I'm going to use you. Verses 10 and 12. He says, I'm sending you. And at this, I think Moses probably thought, I don't know about that anymore. <laughs> maybe had some second thoughts. I don't know if you guys have ever had any regrets in your life. I'm sure you have. But one of them may be this race here. Have you guys heard of the Krispy Kreme Challenge? Yeah, I heard some of your moaning. So it sounds like you already ran it maybe. But like the Krispy Kreme Challenge, first of all, there's, this is a, a great picture of people running with their dozen donuts here. First of all, do you know what participants are called? Who do this? Anybody? They're called trail glazers. <laughs> Come on, that's some serious dad joke stuff right there, right? My kids would be doing a mega eye roll right now. So <laughs> they're called trail glazers. You can't make that up. So students have to run two and a half miles to the nearest Krispy Kreme and there they grab their dozen Krispy Kremes, shove them down as much as they can. And then it's like a little bit of an IQ trick test, I think. They give them milk if they want or water. What happens when you drink milk, eat donuts, and then run? Nothing good historically has ever come from that, okay? That combination, just in case you were wondering. And then they have to run two and a half miles back, which you may say, you know what? I can slow, but you have to do it. Do you know how much time? One hour. Sounds like a long time, but two and a half miles there, two and a half miles back, chug a bunch of donuts and milk. Do you know what the most common Phrases in this race. Oh God, why? Why did I do this to myself? <laughs> and I wonder if Moses maybe got there too. He's like, why did I go talk to that stupid burning bush, man? Rule number one: I should know the shepherding school. They taught me never talk to the burning bush, but I went over anyway. I fell for it, you know? So he's had some fear and he asked some questions. And he just says this. Moses is going, oh, I knew I should have stayed put. And Moses answered, fear's creeping back in. Fear is still defining his future. And he says, God, what if they don't believe me or listen to me? Lord, what if they say, Lord, he didn't appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What's in your hand? A staff, he replied. I love that God doesn't strike him dead with a lightning bolt. <laughs> I love that he doesn't be like, that is the stupidest question I've ever heard. And I've heard everything, okay? That is the top of the list. He doesn't do any of that. Instead, he just simply answers with a question. What's in your hand? Why has he mentioned a staff, I wonder? I don't know for sure, but I know growing up in a palace that he would have had a scepter. And that scepter would have represented power, authority, authority. It was fancy. It was gold. There was a different shape to it. It, had a, uh, it was called a crook or a flail. And now, this is what he gets instead. He just gets, gets a standard stick. That's it. I can't help but wonder. Do you think he was just always like, feeling like, man, my past is defining me. I can't believe how far I've fallen. Man, my, my, my past is just, I could be doing something else right now. And now I'm just out here with these sheep talking to a burning bush, like another great day for shepherding. Fear is not your future. Say it with me fear is not your future. That staff, I think, symbolized Moses' control, Moses being afraid to do anything different. So he just holds on tight. And fear is a funny way of paralyzing us, and that being the thing that distinguishes our lives instead of God's presence. It makes us do funny things, see funny things. God is slowly wooing him into saying, would you just take a, keep taking one more step toward me, one more step toward me. Let my presence define your life. I love how C.S. Lewis says, you can't have an Asbury chapel without a C.S. Lewis quote, right? That's in the rules and everything. And so here's my C. S. Lewis quote. Jesus says, Give me all. I don't want some of your time or some of your money or some of your work. I want you. All of you. I've come not to come to torment your natural self, but to kill it and to set you free from sin. Hand over your whole self with all its desires, and I'll give you a new self instead. In fact, I'll give you myself, your whole life for my whole life. It's got to be pretty hard to believe, though. Moses has a pretty dark past, lots of questions. He's out in a desert, smelly sheep, talking to a burning bush. Like, this does not add up toward, oh, yeah, God's personal presence is going to show up and everything's going to be great now. But yet he's saying, if you will give me all of your life, I'll give you all of mine. That's what will distinguish his life. That's what will make him holy. Moses has to be wondering, can he really redeem what's in my hand? Can he really take this this staff and my past and, and all this stuff that I'm afraid of? Can he really do it? And you have to be wondering the same thing. I know I did. Is that really possible? Can Jesus really take all my mistakes? Can he take my desires? Can he change my heart? what if I keep messing up? What if it's too overwhelming? What, that just sounds boring. That doesn't sound possible. I can't even, I don't even know anybody that fits that description. But I bet you know some people who've been Jesus to you, who you say, I look up to that guy, to that lady. They've been there for me. It is possible. And when you hear those doubts and those whispers, that's the enemy talking to you. That is fear talking to you, trying to say, yeah, just let fear be your future. It's fine. God's presence, that's just stupid. Don't listen to this guy. He doesn't know what he's talking about. But God whispers, come closer. And then he says this in Exodus 4, 1 through 3. He says, there's a staff in your hand, Moses. I want you to throw it on the ground. He says i want you to take that symbol of fear and doubt and your past and everything and i want you to not just lay it down i want you to throw it down and then the story goes he picks it back up you may know it and all of a sudden this object that's been that fearful and shaped his whole life now it becomes a symbol of god's presence in his life and he parts the red sea and he does these miracles and his life is far from getting everything right but he's saying his God, your presence is running my life. I'll I'll go anywhere you want me to go. I'll do anything you want me to do. He's given up control. Sometimes we use the word, he's surrendered. So what does that look like? You may be wondering why there's a treadmill behind me. Now this may be the best illustration ever, or I'm going to fall off and break my arm. And you're going to be like, this helped my faith so much. This was great. So, forgive me, but when I started thinking about what symbolizes control, man, I just kept thinking of a treadmill. Treadmills, I have a bad relation with them. I know James Ballard's on it like seven times a day, every day of the week up there, except for Sabbath thing, obviously. But, you know, this symbolizes life so many times because we can control so many elements of it. And so we're on this journey, right, and we kind of get going, and Then, you know, it's like you're feeling pretty good, you're moving, you're getting a good workout in. And then you start, you ever do this, you look at the person next to you. I'm a little competitive, slash a lot competitive. I won't lie in Hughes because a lightning bolt will hit me. And so uh, I'm a lot competitive. And so when I see someone going a little faster than me, I kind of want to pick it up a little bit, okay? I still want to pretend like I am in good shape here, okay? And so then I just kind of like compare a little bit more and try to go faster. And then I don't want to slow down because I don't want them to know that I'm not actually quite as in shape as they are. And then I just keep going faster and faster. And then I look at my life and I just kind of keep that same kind of pattern going. And then I don't want to admit that I have to slow down or that I need help or there's something I need to deal with. So then I just, I just do more. I just try harder. I just go faster. You right now, are some of you praying that I would fall off? Seriously. Okay. <laughs> That's terrible, terrible. And then finally you just get exhausted. There's not room on a treadmill for two people, first of all, (laughs) it's all about control, it's all about me. And I end up tired and exhausted. Plus treadmills are boring, sorry treadmill people, it's not a real adventure. This is not what Jesus calls us to. He calls us to be filled with his personal presence. To give up control. To stop playing the comparison game. And instead, go on an adventure. Where's he going to take me? Where's he going to go? I don't know. But I'm filled with his presence. I'm filled with his Holy Spirit. And wherever it goes, it's going to be good. Are you wondering if I'm winded? Yes, I am, okay? I'm running in dress shoes and a jacket, all right? I know it's silly. But what's not silly is when someone says, Jesus, here I am. I've got doubts. I've got questions. I don't even want to be here. There's probably some folks all the way over here. But this week, would you just open your life up a hair? Say, God, would you I welcome your presence? I don't know if it's real, but okay, I'm going to try it. And there's others right all the way over here where you're like, okay, I grew up, I get it, but man, Jesus, I don't know about the future. Fear is controlling my life. I don't know what's next. I am. I, I want control so bad. I want to know every step. I want to plan it out. Would you give them control? Do you say, fill me with your presence? I surrender.